This song is not a rebel song. Shall we play a game? I am Sammy Daddy. Many students were killed. Feel right now. I'm very angry. He was rather the poor were poorer, provided the rich were less rich. Naughty, naughty. We like the party. Automobile. Oh, Rick, to think that I may never see you again. I think you did it on purpose because you know I've got a runny bottom. I'm Kurt Loder. This is MTV News. Justin, Justin. But this is Miami, pal. I'm not going Let's have a Play-Doh party. Now show me wax on, wax off. Fun counter guy, thanks for stopping by. Welcome to another edition of A Fluorescent Decade on a Hill, where mostly old guys share their stories from the 1980s when we were trying to figure life out with varying degrees of success. This time around, we're talking fashion, technology, crushes, with a few Dungeons and Dragons tales tagged on at the end. So, in the spirit of avoiding being a slopehead, let's giddy up. So I remember my aunt had purchased me a white Don Johnson jacket that I wore to junior high school. And I think I was more embarrassed than anything by wearing that coat. I wore it one time. It had the shoulder pads in it, and I even had a uh, the classic colored T-shirt underneath it as Don Johnson wore. And if I'm not mistaken, I may actually, I actually had uh, purchased a pair of what they call boat shoes at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I'd even wore my uh, boat shoes with no socks because that was the cool thing to do was to have no socks and your uh, and uh, the Don Johnson jacket. But needless to say, in Boonville, I don't think anybody else ever wore a Don Johnson jacket to school. And I wore it one time because I was too embarrassed to ever put that back on again. But I, did, did anybody say anything to you? No, I think I was too... I don't, I don't think anybody said anything to me. The only thing I remember talking to... Uh, Mike Cotton, and I think he might have actually wanted to try the jacket on because he was somebody that would have been a little more of a fashionista than I was, but yeah. We didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. My mom was always one to buy things off of the clearance rack that uh, might have been in style years before. And, and you know, maybe the, the store found some things back in a corner in the warehouse and threw it out on the reduced sale rack. Well, yeah. my mom one day came home with a pair of uh, black parachute pants. I tried to tell her mom these people don't wear black parachute pants. It, it had come and gone. It, it come and gone. Mm-hmm. And... and Oh no! All the, all the cool kids still wear them, and trust me, and and gave into her and, and and wore them to school one day, and uh, I got ridiculed and laughed at, and uh, but I, I think I may even went home early that day, because because I uh, it, it was just so bad. But uh, there was another time where mom loved to go to go to uh, 
garage sales, rummage sales, mm -hmm. and, and, and go school clothes shopping. I, I remember in eighth, no, seventh grade, I uh, was at lunch, was in, eating lunch, and uh, got my tray, walked into the, to the seating area, and all of a sudden this girl, and I can't think of who it was right now, but all I, all I remember in front of everybody, this girl jumps up and, and starts pointing at me and laughing, and she goes, oh my gosh, you got my brother's shirt on. Oh no! <laughs> so, How did she know? I, I I have no idea. I, I have no idea wow. if there was something unique about it. But uh, and then of course everybody in the cafeteria. Wow! It's funny you mention that because I remember uh, seeing a guy from a family that was kind of poor. They were kind of out from the hollers and the out in the sticks. Yeah. And he was wearing a shirt that I knew it was mine, and we give it to the Salvation Army because. It had like a little stain or, or something on the sleeve, or it was very something very distinct. And I, I remember just feeling really sorry for the guy. And I remember people used to make fun of him because, and he could be a little bit mean sometimes. Yeah. Although we did shop at the Salvation Army ourselves, so I don't know why I felt sorry <laughs> for him. So I don't know what the deal was. So there was also a time. Uh, it, it, I think it was in, it was in grade school. It had to be in grade school because that was the time Andy Gibb was oh, yeah. uh, was real popular amongst all the little. Between kid, two girls, and not so much the the guys, but right. uh, unfortunately, my my mom uh, once again was at a rummage sale, picked up an Andy Gibb T-shirt, uh -huh. and uh, I had to wear it to to, to school one day, and uh, uh, received a lot of flack and, <laughs> and uh, laughs and accusations uh, about your sexuality. Possibly, yes, <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah. yes. Whatever reason, my mom wanted me to be fashionable, and uh, we'd always go to the mall. And we go to the mall in the city. We should tell people that are listening. We we grew up in a, in a real small country town. Yeah, very small town. And you know, most people wore. I guess back then, it's still wearing flannel or wore t-shirts and jeans and whatever. Bib overalls. But uh, she would buy like dress pants. And at one point, I looked like a character out of Miami Vice. Sweet. You know. You know. I had like the penny loafers, you know. Man, that's rad, dude. Kind of had a Miami Vice vibe to me. And then, do you remember when parachute pants came out? Oh, sure. I think it was probably when we were in junior high. She bought me a couple pair of parachute really? pants. Yeah. Man, you I, were cool. I guess. Well, I tried to be or whatever. But I remember she bought me like a black pair and a gray pair. And then they were like a like a nylon parachute mm -hmm. type material or whatever. It's the name parachute right pants. but i remember i had a uh, motorcycle growing up and i would take it out you know in the woods and stuff go mudding well when parachute pants went out of style they became motorcycle pants <laughs> because they'd be covered in mud and i could just take a you know the hose to them and clean them off there you go. so you know i got a lot of, a lot of use out of those <laughs> Yeah, fat laces. They were huge, like in middle school. Of course, there were shoelaces. Anyway, they were fat laces that you would, you would lace underneath. They would be straight across, and they would look like one big thread. All so you had to shoe. have them? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Me and another guy, we were like obsessed. Like, don't step on our shoes. Don't touch our shoes. And literally at night, I would go home and change them. At night, you know, I'd have a maroon, and then I'd have a black and a red. And just all different colors, I would change them every day. 
and we would a lot of times we would trade out fat laces because it was the cool thing. Now what's funny is my youngest son, he just I put in a pair in his shoes like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and uh, they're black and white checkerboard. He loves them. And I, I throw them up just like I used to. He wore them to school, and he's like, man, everybody's been talking about my shoes. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I want to get so many fat laces now. And then, of course, I eventually drifted out of that into high school, and I got into, like, the tight-rolled pants and the Eastland shoes with no socks. <laughs> Corny. The chicks dig it? Oh, yeah, you know it. Yeah, <laughs> just swarming like flies. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so when I was a kid, we moved back from Kansas. This was 1985, 86. My friend Anthony lived up the street from me. He had gotten a zipper jacket for Christmas, I think, and I so wanted a zipper jacket. So Michael Jackson, the Michael Jackson, had this jacket at one point in his career, multiple, that had zippers all over it, just like kind of everywhere, shoulders, mm-hmm. uh, the front, the, you know, the arms, whatever. And so it was very fashionable, so everybody else wanted a zipper jacket. I think that's what they were called. And so I knew I really wanted one, but I ended up getting the zipper jacket thinking I was the coolest thing in the world. Obviously not. I was going to say something else, too, that was during that time is the people wearing one glove to school. Now, so I had a zipper jacket. I never wore one glove. I just couldn't handle that. Uh, as a young wannabe magician, I had two gloves, <laughs> white gloves. In this area was always the uh, Steve Alford haircut. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody's ever mentioned that, but so Steve Alford was a phenomenal basketball player in the state of Indiana, and uh, he had went on to play at IU for Bob Knight. And everybody loved Steve Alford. Everybody, he was the clean cut. When he got the basketball at the free throw line, you could. He always told said the told thank told the referees thank you for getting the ball to shoot the free throws. And he had like the perfect hairstyle, uh-huh. you know. It was kind of a little, just a little bit taller on top, and it was all feathered back. And I mean, it was kind of the thing to have. So I can remember trying to to mimic the Steve Alford style, even getting the part down the middle and trying to go on both sides. Uh, I mean, because if you liked IU basketball, you could recognize that haircut a mile away. <laughs> well, Steve Alford was such a phenomenon that even the the pop radio station. Oh, yeah. Uh, WSTO had done a song. They did. The, the original song was My Baby Wrote Me a Letter, I think it was. Lonely days ago, I'm a going home. My baby just wrote me a letter. Let Stevie shoot a three point, right? If you lose, you lose. Don't score two by twos. Steve Alford, shoot a three pointer. I think that was when what have you called the basketball organization started to allow three-pointers it was his senior year was the first time the three-pointer went into effect and it was funny because bob knight actually voted against the three-point rule because everybody knew he had a great three-point shooter and everybody else they thought if knight he was trying to basically kind of play a little game he was going to act like he didn't want it so he voted against it, whereas everybody else voted for it. So he was trying to make sure he could get his number one shooter out there with the ball. So I was in high school. My acting teacher, and I'm just going to call him out right now, Paul Hughes was his name, and an excellent actor, crummy teacher. 
Um, <laughs> in the sense of, I mean, he did get better. It's kind of like Mr. Holland's opus kind of a thing in some ways, but opposite, like for him, because he was he was an actor, but he lived in Lakeland, Florida. You can really be much of a professional actor in Lakeland, Florida. So he had to get a real job. Mm-hmm. And I know that's how he got this job, because he was an excellent actor, but he never taught a room for the high school kids. And this was an arts high school. But he had these pants that Velcroed. And instead of a belt, you put them on kind of wide, and then you brought them in, and they Velcroed around your waist. Wow. And they're called Velcro pants. That's what I call them. And he would wear them. And one time somebody said, Mr. Hughes, what's with your pants? And he undid the Velcro in the front of it. So it's suddenly like these really like, I used to be this big, but now I'm this big, Uh you know, kind of a thing. So I loved them. And they they were tapered at the bottom, kind of like the joggers are now. Um, But at the top, it was these unvelcroed. So I had like three pairs of Velcro pants. And I wore them. And I thought they were the coolest thing ever. Do you still have them? Uh, No, (laughs) no. Believe it or not, I don't have them. Yeah, I was the king of the mullet, man. Oh, back yeah? in the day, yeah. Yeah, business in the front, party in the back. It was <laughs> it was all like Yeah, man, I had it down. I had it slicked on the side and kind of spiked up on top and one time I had a curly perm in the back and it wow. was, yeah, man, it's I look back at pictures and I remember my parents were like my dad's like, you need to cut your hair. You're going to regret that one day. You look back and see those pictures. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And, of course, now I'm like, God, he was so right. Because <laughs> I look back at that, and it's so dated, of course. Right. The mullet was popular. Yeah. But what's sad is here it is 2019, and you still th- still see people with a mullet. Went to a, a roller derby show in mm-hmm. Nashville. And I think I went to the very first show they had, and it was a sea of mullets. It was rednecks yeah. and lesbians. Not kidding. Oh, that sounds about I right. I don't know why that those two groups are still carrying those torches. But I don't understand that. Fresh dress like a million bucks. Threw on the ballet shoes and the fly green socks. Stepped out my house, stopped short. Oh, no. I went back in. I forgot my kango. And then I... You know, in the 80s, I was the mullet king. I totally, you know, believed in uh, long hair, but I didn't like it down in my eyes. I'll never forget kind of a girl story is we were in chemistry class and a hot girl from my class to sit behind me and one of the reasons why i kept growing my hair out because she would always play with it um and at one point i'll never forget her her um grabbing my hair nicely and saying can you i can't believe how long it is and she pulled it up over my head and it was like down to my chin i never realized it was that long but since she was hot i'm like i'm not cutting this because i enjoyed (laughs) the attention that she was giving me for it um unfortunately nothing ever happened and she married somebody else There was another jacket before the Velcro pants that I really wanted, uh, members only, the members only jackets, right? Which were so popular. I think they still sell those actually. And I didn't get a members only jacket. I got some off brand of a, it was like, you know, posers only. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what kind of jacket it was, but I remember I did get the the ripoff version of members only jacket. So um, I only went to my junior prom with my girlfriend. And we had a good time. I bought an awesome suit. I was in a magic competition at the time, or preparing for one, and I had a costume change where I went from a black outfit to a white outfit. 
So I bought this white outfit. It was a waistcoat, but I bought it and it was like 125 bucks, which is funny because it was the whole outfit, right? But that was 20 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. I bought it myself. I decided I was gonna wear it to prom. That's what I wore to prom. And uh, my girlfriend had a, a beautiful dress and I got a matching corset sage of, you know, that matched her dress. But I wore that, I'm like, I can't afford to go rent a tux. I'm gonna wear the outfit. And I have to tell you, I look pretty smooth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is kind of off the topic, but you remember when I got married the first time, I needed a suit and couldn't afford one or didn't have one and you lent me one of yours. And I kept thinking, Sometime during the service, like I was gonna look for the ring and like pull out like a rabbit out or <laughs> I forgot that some handkerchiefs can't it fit you. I forgot that. I oh man, that I couldn't even suit? I couldn't even button up the crotch at all. I, mean, <laughs> I, I had uh, like some safety uh, pins or something. I used to have a a free battery club card from Radio Shack. Uh -huh. And I literally used to walk to Radio Shack. Uh, this was in junior high school. We all did, us a pack of kids with our battery card and go get a battery out of the bin and the guy would... How did that work? work? I mean, did you was, pay something? No, that was it. Like, they wanted you to come in the store and buy something on a monthly basis. So they just give you like a one double A or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously Radio Shack had... Uh, trash 80s mm -hmm. and my parents had a computer they wanted to computerize their convenience store kind of like a small grocery store and the hard disk was literally a big box probably at least 12 inches that's the first time i really heard of a computer and actually i remember my friend's brother built a computer from a heath kit and it would just light up it would do mathematical things it was a calculator uh -huh. And if I can go back before that, my uncle paid $300 for a calculator. Just a simple wow. Texas instrument, I think it was, calculator. I remember my Little League coach having a uh, watch that was digital, but you couldn't see it in the sun. And uh, he'd yeah. have to literally like put a circle around his <laughs> watch with his hand and look peer down into it. Back to my parents. Uh, had two huge discs. They really, I think that's why they called them a hard disk because they were in a wooden box and you would slide the wooden box. Really? That was the story. Wood? Yeah, it was a black wooden box made out of like paneling, but a tough wood, mm -hmm. but as thin as paneling. Just like you remember the floppy disk? Mm -hmm. It was a floppy disk, but it was as big as a, like a record, like a 12 inch oh, record. I see. Okay. Yeah. And they used this for their business? Yeah, they were supposed to. But they, they spent probably tens of thousands of dollars back in those days for these three computer people to come in and uh, computerize a business with a cash register, we do an inventory system mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Like something like you would buy, download an app now on your phone for free. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but this was cutting edge back then. And, and the funny thing is, it's like, it was not a big store. You could just visually like go down the aisle and say, oh, I need more cat food. Mm -hmm. It would be that simple. Right. I don't know what my dad was thinking. So you said at school y'all got some apples, is that right? Yeah, we got one Apple computer. Our class, the class before us, I graduated in 1983, so the class of 82, as a senior gift to the school, bought us a computer. And um, it was an Apple. I can see it. I don't know what model it was, but whatever was the most popular model in 1982, that's what they purchased. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, I had me and a friend... We already had computers. We went to a local electronics store down the road. Actually, I used to work there in 10th grade as a stock boy. 
we bought Atari 400s. And it came with, uh, the lid would open and you could pop in a disc, or not a disc, but a, a cartridge. And you could do language like basic or Pascal. Mm-hmm. And the storage was a tape recorder, just like a little cassette tape, cassette tape recorder, exactly. And uh, so you could buy games that way. And then we used to buy computer books at the grocery store, and it would have pages and pages of code, yeah, all in basic, uh-huh. to to make games. Right. Now, uh, so we already had a computer, and the teachers. There's two teachers who taught computer class. It was maybe one day a week. By the time we were seniors, um, they purchased maybe five more computers. So there were six in a room. So that was a computer lab. Mm-hmm. And we would go to the classroom. They would talk about it. Then we would take turns on a computer. Six people had to take turns on one computer. Yeah, you, or you could come in at, during study hall or something. Uh-huh. And we would do... I remember the first day, my friend and I did the matchstick game. We actually wrote the code for the matchstick game, which is like there's eight lines and you take one away. You just see who could just get to one stick. Mm-hmm. and so you, But you can only take one, two, or three. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But So we were... Uh, so impressive the girls just <laughs> yes, uh, the girls loved us <laughs> we were the first nerds but you yeah. said you had was it asteroids yeah I bought asteroids down the road I probably back then I paid 35 bucks like uh, it was like all my life savings but I had to have a video game this was right. way before video game well I had the uh, pong kind right. of games the asteroid how much memory did it take you know what? It filled up the cassette tape on one side and probably half on the other. It took about almost 40 minutes to play that, just to download it into the computer to play the game. So if I wanted to play Asteroids, I would turn on the cassette, hit play, and it would, you know, make those funny noises uh-huh. for 40 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Well, and I had to flip the cassette tape over. So. <laughs> was the game that good and worth it? You know, it was very close to the arcade game. Mm-hmm. And the joystick was great because it was an Atari. Mm-hmm. It was indestructible. And uh, I actually have pictures of my friends. I bought a space helmet from, like, the local toy store just for fun. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, it was a novelty. I remember one of the first programs I wrote was to put my friend's phone numbers onto the computer and mm. it was uh, but I have to I literally have to go to the computer turn it on write spell their whole name out mm-hmm. you know I didn't really know what I was doing and uh-huh. then it would show the phone number it would have much simpler to just put out a notepad yeah uh, especially where you live where everybody has Italian last names and those, those yeah. are hard to spell yeah they're long names <laughs> oh probably the best program we wrote both back then you know everyone we watched karate movies there was very few cable channels and USA Network was great. Mm-hmm. And every Saturday and Sunday, it was uh, Kung Fu Theater. Uh-huh. We were so into karate and Kung Fu. Like, like we were, thought we were vigilantes. Uh, my friend had a punching bag, a kick bag kind of thing. And we put a microphone up to it. Actually, a speaker to, use, to be like a microphone up to the punching bag. And when the computer beeped, then we could punch the bag to see reaction time. And that was something that huh. uh, he and I wrote that was kind of impressive. As kids, yeah, and okay. it worked. Huh. You know, there was a little bit of a lag, and then after a while, you just—it's boring. Right. <laughs> you get bored with it. Do you what does it take to make you yeah, so it was one of the like it was a handheld video game. It was Merlin, and it was a red. It's kind of about the size of a, uh, a telephone handset. 
and it had a the middle had I think it was a numbered keypad, and then it, the top part had a speakers that generated sound, and the bottom was just a just a blank space. And so there was all kinds of little games, and it was so fascinating if you had a Merlin, because you could program like one game and you had to follow the dots, and so you tried to create a pattern and following those dots back. And I can still remember riding in the back of the car playing with that Merlin and trying to figure that out. That was really something that was really cool. In the 80s, you know, first in the 70s was Pong, right? You, you had to have one of those like little boop, boop, right? Boop. Then came Atari, right? Well, the best thing, after Atari was in television, which was better than Atari, yeah. but what came out next was ColecoVision. And I don't know if you remember this, but the best thing about ColecoVision, like on Atari, if you bought Pac-Man, it, the theme was Pac-Man, but it didn't look like Pac-Man. It didn't sound like Pac-Man. It was a cheap knockoff. Mm-hmm. You know, it sucked. The thing about ColecoVision is all of their games looked the same as they did in the arcade. The graphics were the same, mm-hmm. the music was the same, and whatever. I got a freaking ColecoVision one year, and um, so my house was the place to be all summer long because I had Coleco, and um, you know, Coleco only had uh, licenses like they didn't have Pac-Man as a license, but like Donkey Kong, I remember was a a popular Coleco product. Do you remember the movie War Games from the 80s? Oh, absolutely, yeah. There was a game on ColecoVision huh. called War Games, and it was really cool because you remember, uh, like, the computer talked in that thing, and it would say, Greetings, Professor right. Falcon, right? Shall we play a game? Yes. Everybody knew my mom left for work at 7.10 in the morning, and so at 7.11, the neighborhood was knocking on the door, and, like, we're eating Cheerios mm-hmm. and taking turns on the Coleco or whatever. Because it was the one and only platform at the time that looked like the arcade games. And of course in the 80s, like the arcade was the place to be. And if you don't mind me going off on a tangent, in my neighborhood there was this bowling alley and it was called Galileans. And inside Galileans was a thing called Galaxy World. Anybody from Chicago that's listening to this remembers Galaxy World because it was this huge arcade. I'm guessing it was probably around 8,000 or 9,000 square feet of nothing but video games in there. And it was the hangout every day of the week. But, you know, for like 12-year-olds and 13, you rode your bike to Galaxy World, which was in a bowling alley. Mm-hmm. And you uh, played video games for hours and hours on end. Until the quarters ran out. Until the quarters ran out. And sometimes you just stayed anyway because... You watch other people. Yeah, you watch other people play the games and you learn, like... Because, you know, I'm, I'm 12 or 13 and I'm watching somebody who's like a 17-year-old play this and you're going, oh, that's how you beat this level mm-hmm. and, and whatever. Because back then, too, all those games, you know, computers didn't have the processing power that they have now. And so all those games had like a trick. Right? right. If you knew what the one trick was... The pattern. Thing, yes. Yeah. Then you could work your way through. So you'd stay and you'd watch older people play these games because they right. knew the tricks and patterns and that's how you you learned them. Whiz kids. Whiz kids. Whiz. Speaking of patterns, I remember Pac-Man was the one that somebody figured out there was a pattern to it that you would not die if you stuck to it. And so some guy wrote a book and you, know, you had all these diagrams and what have you. And maybe it changed with certain levels, I don't know. But I remember like guys had memorized that thing. And they could just play for hours and hours on end. You know, which kind of, is kind of ridiculous after a while. But it's almost like the Rubik's Cube. Right. There were those books written on that about how to beat it. 
Well, I remember a pattern for Miss Pac-Man, not Pac-Man. We have an arcade machine at our house, and it's got Pac-Man and Miss mm -hmm. Pac-Man on it. And to this day, Pac-Man's way harder to play than Miss Pac-Man. But you put me on Miss Pac-Man, I can play that huh. thing forever and ever because of the the pattern i don't know that it's necessarily a um, scientific pattern like if you go in this pattern you cannot die mm -hmm. but there's a a pattern that creates efficiency oh. right where you're you you never have to retrace your steps uh -huh. and it saves the power pills or whatever toward the end so that uh when you need to clean up the last of the board you've got power pills to go through the the thing with so these cousins who were like my sisters, Bridget and Pam, and I thought they were so cool. It's like their lives reminded me kind of like of Molly Ringwald and, and all that. They had their own telephone line, wow. you know. I mean, they were on the phone all the time, and I just thought that was so cool. And so they gave and, their number up, their private number? Yeah. To two boys? Yes. But you know, they were good girls, you know, they, they stuck to the rules and everything, but I just thought that was cool because my parents would never allow me to have my own telephone. They each had their own jam boxes. Bridget's was pink. Pam was the standard silver one, you know. <laughs> it had satellites, so, you know, we could go, we could watch videos. You know, MTV was taboo in my household. That was where I saw the first Jets video. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I thought they were just so cute. They drove the coolest cars. My uncle was like, see, Uncle LC, that was their father. He passed away a few years ago. But, I mean, he always had cool cars. And at that time, Pam had a Nissan, um, is it a... 250 and I can remember driving down Highway 45 listening to Lisa Lisa We were listening to Ready for the World we were listening to um, LL Cool J uh -huh. with the top down in the Nissan 240 240Z yeah, yeah. My best friend and I, we go to the movies one night, and I think this was eighth grade. Of course, back in the day, going to the movies was the thing to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody went. And it was a theater called Martin Four in Madisonville. Friday nights, you had the 7 o'clock and the 9 o'clock, and of course, at that age, we were always going to the 7 o'clock. But I remember you know, coming out of the theater, there would be ropes and just the whole lobby was just packed with people. So we go to watch Weird Science. I mean, it is piss pouring rain outside. And so we're in there watching the movie, and I mean, it's thunder and lightning. just horrible. And you know how you have the emergency exits. So we're sitting in there, and of course, again, the place is absolutely jam-packed. Movie stops. Power goes out. And they turn on, like, the emergency side lights or whatever. And somebody comes out and says, you know, give us a little bit of time, whatever. So we're sitting there, and everybody's talking. And, you know, all the emergency exits on the outside, you have no idea which one goes to what theater. Mm -hmm. You don't know. And all of a sudden, on the side emergency door, we're talking probably five, six knocks. Like, no, I'm talking like bangs. <laughs> Somebody's like, oh, open up the door. Somebody open up the door. And they, 
<coughs> open up the door and it's, that is my mom. That is my mom. Derek, Brian, y'all need to come on. It's getting bad out. Come on, get in the car right now. <laughs> and sure enough, we just like, <laughs> like shirts over the head and like walked it all you know, out to the theater. And I was like, how in the world she knew which theater we were in? I don't know. Anyway, she knew it, and uh, yeah, I was mortified. Because <laughs> it was just in front of all your friends from school, and you're being called out, Derek and Brian, come on in. You come home, it's bad out. <laughs> You know what? I went to a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. The first one, her name was Nikita. That's oh. exotic right there. Check out the name, Nikita. <laughs> yeah. that, that was the coolest name ever. Nikita. And she was very nice. I mean, and that I think about, I said, that could have been my lady. Because she was very easygoing. When we used to go on field trips, and I think that was the only way we would spend time together. We'd go on field trips and everything like that. Would you sit on the bus together? or Sometimes we would. Because, you know, in Chicago, when you go on a field trip, you go on a field trip. Oh, like out in the country? <laughs> well, that's not necessarily because you have so much to do. You have the Lincoln Park Zoo. You have the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these different places. Um, I think it was this other museum where they had a super collider. Are you familiar with the yeah. super collider? Yeah. They had one back then? Yeah, man. Wow. See, that was awesome. That's right. There is one up there. I forgot about that. Yeah. With, with Nikita, you know... What I liked about the well, 80s. Yeah, well, but first of all, what did she look like? Kind of describe her style and her. You know, right now you would laugh, but then it was okay. She had curly hair, she had fair skin, and she was tall. At first, I thought she was biracial, but she wasn't biracial. Mm-hmm. She just had like fair skin. So she was white or black? She was black. Okay, but she was like, what do they say? Yeah, they used to say mulatto. I don't know if that's the correct term anymore, yeah. but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I never did uh, ask her what her ethnicity was uh-huh. at all. I never did ask that, but I know she was cute. Mm. She was nice. She and, looked good in that Catholic skirt. Oh, man, yeah, that checkered skirt. Yes, <laughs> man. Oh, yeah. It's blue checkered, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's something about that. I, it's, it's wrong, but yeah. there's something about yeah. those things. And, you know, the, the thing about those skirts, they're not long, they're short. Uh-huh. So you can see their legs, their thighs, and everything. You'd be like, Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the thing about the women or, well, I guess you could say women or ladies in the 80s, they did not have attitudes. Girls didn't have attitudes. You could walk up to them. You could say, hey, how you doing? What's your name? Nikita. Well, where you living? She'll tell me where they live. Uh-huh. and They'll tell you exactly where they live. And you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, in Maywood, because that's where we lived in the suburbs, the western suburbs of uh-huh. Chicago. Uh, next to that store, uh, Zares, and you're like, really? Wow. And you know, right off of Fifth Avenue, you're like, oh, really? See, so you could talk to them and everything, uh-huh. communicate with them. Girls now are trying to be ladies. Uh-huh. They are not trying to experience um, the full-fledged life of being a girl. Uh-huh. They want to be ladies. She was a girl, and she was being a girl. Uh-huh. And she was innocent. And you could talk to her, and you uh, ask her, well, sometimes uh, we can, uh, and this sounds corny, but you could say, hey, uh, maybe I can come by sometime and we can play. She said, yeah, that'll be fun. you know. And when you said play, what were you meaning? We were talking about riding bikes, oh, yeah. um, going on nature hunts, stuff like that. Innocent, something yeah. Something innocent. 
I mean, now you can't. You say play. You got to change it up. Hey, baby, you know, sometimes we get together and play. (laughs) That don't sound innocent. But then you went thinking about stuff of that nature. So you'll say, hey, sometimes we can go out and play. Say, yeah, that'd be great, you know. And And so you went over and played with Nikita? I went over one time, played with her. You know, we just laugh, talk, watch TV, um, go to different places, go to the parks and stuff like that. It, It seemed like it was boring, but it was fun because you was... With someone you enjoy yeah. being around with. Yeah. I don't know if people or children still have fun like that now. Well, of course they don't. They have video games, they have cell phones. And we didn't even have no cell phones. I'd seen my, my wife, and I've been married to Teresa now for, it'll be celebrated 25 years last year. So we started dating in uh, 88. Well, I had saw her walking down the hallway a few times and my wife always, she's always had a great personality. And so she was walking down the hallway and, you know, she smiled real big and I was like, I didn't know if she was interested or anything or not, you know. And so I just saw her and I think she was also, I think she may have worked in the office and so she would bring things to the classroom. But a buddy of mine, Chip, we and I, we were going to Owensboro to the Executive Inn because Chip and I both like to eat. So we were going to the uh, buffet over at the Executive Inn. And so we get, we weren't even up to the bridge. We were probably still a couple miles before we got to the Blue Bridge. And traffic was backed up. So you would go to another state just to eat? Yes, I was going to another state just to eat. So yeah, they had a big, it was a seafood buffet. So we decided, well, that was, we weren't going to wait in line. Somebody told us there had been a wreck on the bridge. So we came back through, went to Newburgh, and there was another restaurant in Newburgh we were going to try to eat, but they were closed. So we ended up at Long John Silver's. And my wife, uh, soon, you know, soon-to-be wife, actually was working at Long John Silver's. And so she can still remember to the day what I ordered. She told me there was some other girl that was working there. And she goes, oh, Brad, here comes Brad or something. And so my wife said she was she didn't want that other girl to come up and take the order. <laughs> so, wow. so she got up there and took the order. So I guess she must have she must have saw me as well, too. We That was kind of the first time I'd ever really talked to her. And then I can remember uh, asking one of her friends, uh, Jenny, you know, if she liked anybody or anything like that. And so I think my wife must have asked her because we both had a mutual friendship. <laughs> Somehow or another, we ended up, I don't know how we ended up actually going out, but the uh, first movie we went out to see was uh, Child's Play. Oh, that's romantic. Oh, yeah. Well, the funny thing was my wife suggested Child's Play because she thought, oh, you know, this will be a movie. Maybe he'll want to hold my hand or something because it'll be scared. <laughs> I was more terrified of that movie, <laughs> and I don't think that worked out at all as far as the hand-holding part because I was in sheer terror of watching it. So, <laughs> so you were hiding so, under the seat? Yeah, I was hiding under the seat, and she was over there <laughs> looking for me. When you all got married, did you have a child's play themed wedding? You know, I wished we, we I wished I would have thought of that, but no, we didn't. <laughs> What's crazy is in pretty much all through grade school, I could have had any girl I wanted. I mean, like, you need the prettiest girl in school. They like me. They'd be, they would be, like, these silly, you know, notes back and forth fighting. And I would always be, you know, they'd, do you like me, yes or no? And, of course, I would always circle or, you know, and send it back. <laughs> just, to, wow. just, just to avoid any, you know, I didn't say this and I didn't say that. But then once I, <laughs> once I hit fifth or sixth grade, 
I got arrested by the Chubby Police, and the, <laughs> and I, then I, it just all those girls that liked me, man. It was like I was girl repellent, uh-huh. and I could not. I don't think I had a girlfriend until let's see, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth grade. But yeah, I had tons and tons of crushes, and probably my biggest crush was, was probably my eleventh grade year, and she led me on. Oh my God, I went out with her a few times, but she led me on, led me on, and she was still hung up on her old boyfriend. Mm. One of those deals. But she still wanted to lead me on for whatever reason. Right. We she didn't out. want to be alone. Right. There was one that she, this girl was absolutely drop dead gorgeous. And all the guys were just like, oh my God, she's a freaking goddess, you know? Mm-hmm. For, I think it might have been my junior prom. That girl approached me and asked me out of nowhere if I wanted to go to prom with her. And of course, I was like, oh, a what? You know? And I remember going back and telling my friends like you're full of crap you know there's no way there's no way that like i'm gonna go ask her. i said go ask her and they wouldn't ask her and sure enough said yeah we're going and then she just kind of disappeared out of my life and wouldn't talk to me for no reason i don't know what happened and um, so that never happened we were calling the phone at night and everything and then she just disappeared i was in fifth grade, maybe sixth grade at that time period. I, at that point, lived about a mile and a half from my elementary school. And we had moved back from Kansas and I would ride down the bike path every day to elementary school with my friend, Anthony. We'd ride past the junior high school to the elementary school. And it was about, I don't know, 15, 20 minute bike ride maybe in the morning. There was a girl named Carrie who lived on the other side of the school, like maybe a, a mile away on the other side of the school. And that was the first crush. I remember like seeing Carrie, my stomach hurt. Like I look at her literally physically, my stomach hurt thinking, man, you know. And so where I lived behind my house was a little dirt alleyway. It's still there to this day because I drove down not long ago. There's a little dirt alleyway that turned. And we at that point, by the way, I lived in a parsonage next to a church. Next to that house was this little dirt alleyway, which was led to the back of a flower shop, Mrs. D's flower shop. Still there. I could literally could walk to this little flower shop, and I would often. I'd be playing in the that that alleyway pretty you know, pretty often too, and so I bought. Uh, I couldn't afford a rose, but I bought a carnation, mm. and and took it with me to school at some point. I guess I don't know how I hit it all day, but after school I rode the long way home, which was back around like two lakes and you know a forty five minute ride kind of a thing, uh, and to go by her house. Somehow I figured out where she lived, and I went by her house and gave her this flower. How did she accept it? She she was always very sweet, very very nice. We we never were you know boyfriend and girlfriend or anything like that. Or, but she didn't throw up. She didn't throw up, and she didn't go throw throw. She didn't throw the flower at me either. Mm-hmm. I'm sure her mom thought it was sweet, and she thought it was sweet. And you know, here's this goofy little kid giving me a flower, and she was you know my age, and I just remember I liked her forever, and I don't think she ever liked me. So I guess I moved on. Yeah, so I was a junior in high school. Our literature teacher that year was fresh out of college. Not only did she kind of look like a student, she kind of acted like one too. She was very immature. Looking back on it, at the time, she's playing an adult to me. But I, I just kind of got a weird vibe from her. She would you know, go around the class and people would read poetry. Every time I would read, she would put her hand on my arm and just, you know, just it, she seemed really, even for a, what was like 15? Very flirtatious. Were you attracted to her? 
Oh, she was very pretty. But oh, okay. she, I mean, she was 21. I kind of looking around like, is everybody else seeing this? <laughs> it comes out that she was having sex with one of the students in, in my class, but a different period. In the guy, class? A guy I knew, no. I think he was going over to her house. She lived in like the suburbs. His name was Chad. So I remember telling my friends when we heard about it, like, did you hear about this and that? Like, yeah, that's really weird. And one of my friends goes, yeah, I know about it. And my friend is named Chad. He goes, this, this lady's mom called my house and like, they're like, Chad, the phone is for you. You know, and back in the one phone days, he picks up the phone and this lady screaming and yelling at him, accusing him of seducing her daughter. Her daughter's the teacher. Oh my goodness. So here's the, <laughs> I'm assuming a 50 year old lady calling him. 16-year-old boy screaming at him about causing her daughter to lose her job. And it's the wrong Chad. <laughs> hey, look! A Dungeons and Dragons ride! We had this rec center in Chicago. And there were these guys there playing Dungeons and Dragons. And they had these Larry King loud glasses on. Every one of them did. <laughs> I mean, they, they was like nerd city. All their shirts were tucked in, and they was pulled all the way up to the nipple of their chest. And you mean the pants? The, the pants, yeah, the pants were pulled all the way up, man. I mean, I know their nuts are suffering right now, you know, <laughs> but that's what they did. And it was quiet. And I'm telling you about nerds, man. They arrogant. Nerds are arrogant. They have a click also. They clickish. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have different clicks. You like you have the motorcycle gang guys. You have the chicks, the cute chicks over here. And you have the ugly chicks that hang together too. Mm -hmm. But then you have the, the, the geeks or the nerds that hang together. And they didn't want me to be part of that, that crew. I wasn't nerdy enough, man. I didn't, I didn't fit the memo. I had glasses, <laughs> but my glasses weren't that big, you know. <laughs> but they was in there playing Dungeons & Dragons and I just asked one question. Who's the dungeon master? And they all just turned around and took their glasses off. And one of them took his glasses off and he had a little handkerchief and rubbed his glasses and looked at me like, who are you? Who brought you in here? I looked at him like, can I play? And I, they're like, no, 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 no. Get, get this man out of here. And so I like, I left. You know, they just made me feel uncomfortable. I'm like, well, they are pricks too. Nerds are pricks. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, we were, I think, seniors again, right? And whose house was it? Well, we won't say names, but it was a friend of ours, and his dad was a teacher. I, I guess I should back up. This teacher, I had had him for like a shop class or something like that, and he wasn't a real nice person. He was very smart. And he, again, one of those people that probably did not belong in Boonville and maybe resented being there. That's a kind of running theme, it seems like, with the teachers we had the most problems with. He was pretty cruel to me. He would say some mean things. And at the time, I was starting to write articles for the school paper. I wasn't very good at anything in life, but that was something that people seemed to like. Yeah. People thought it was funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, not everybody liked me. That's fine. I think I remember people, when they get the paper, they would open the paper and find your articles first. Oh, that's, that's sweet. But anyway, when he would give me a hard time in class, I guess he figured out that I was taking some pride in these articles. Mm. And so he really hit me hard where he said, uh, he got onto me about something and he said, and by the way, you're not funny. Your articles you know, stink or, or it was something like that. You're, you're not as funny as you think you are or something like that. Right. And he, but he mentioned the articles and how they weren't good. 
And I remember really stunning me. I thought, what teacher says that? You know, unless he was my English teacher. So was he in charge of the, the paper? No, no. He had nothing to do with it. Oh, okay. He was just a... Just commenting. Yeah. He, we were in another class completely, and he was irritated at me for some reason. And so his son, we were kind of friendly with. They invited us over to play an all-night session of Dungeons & Dragons. What I remember about that is you got there before I did. I, like, had something going on or something... We didn't go together because I remember showing up and you guys are already at the table playing. Mm -hmm. uh, I won't mention who was running the game, but I just remember walking in. I, I wasn't playing. Tim was playing. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> ridiculous you were being. Well, the, the guy was super serious about yeah. it. Now, granted, I was probably a wiseacre and I shouldn't have said some of the things I said, but he was taking it so seriously and he was like getting dramatic and everything and I made a joke or something, and he, and he got really mad. And I think I told you the story before in the podcast, but he got so mad at whatever my comment was. We were in a cave in the scenario, and there was a giant slime. And I said, well, obviously, I pull out my magic tampon, <laughs> and I absorb it or whatever, something like that. And he got so mad that he said, a bolt of lightning strikes you, and you're dead. I said, but, but we're in a cave, like, physically, this is not possible. <laughs> and he found another way to kill me. I can't remember how, but... And to be fair, I probably was ruining things, but he was so serious about yeah. it. I got put in exile into another room, and I think it's where me and you kind of hung out. Yeah. I just remember he had... I guess he had spent a lot of time on it, because he had, like, all these papers and right. stuff. I guess he'd... <laughs> I get it. I've been a dungeon master. I understand. But you got to roll with the punches. And right. We mm -hmm. should say this house, it wasn't a mansion, but for Boonville, it, it was nice. a big house. Yeah. I remember going to the bathroom there. You opened the door to the bathroom and there was a hallway leading to the toilet. It was like, seriously, from the door that closed the bathroom, it was probably about 20 feet you had to walk to get to the toilet. That's the way this house was built. So we're playing... I haven't been kicked out yet, and the teacher, we'll call him Mr. Doolittle, he comes in, he's like, hello, boys, you know, checking us all out, and when he sees me, he's like, you. <laughs> Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. You're playing the most phenomenal game ever created. Your skin grows cold from your first glimpse of the enormous beast. It's a product of your imagination. Survival depends on... So you used to have a 20-side die in your life? I've had a few 20-sided dice and many other sides, too. And what was a, some, some friend of mine that I used to play with, uh, he had like one that was like, was it 30-sided or maybe even more? Really? It was practically useless because it was like a golf ball. <laughs> I mean, the dimples in the ball were the, the numbers, and you could roll the thing wouldn't stop rolling. Wow. <laughs> so it was kind of like, and when you, if it ever did stop, you couldn't really tell what the number what number was up. So I never knew it was a 30-side die. I didn't either until he showed up with it one day and tried to use it, and it was just like, don't do anything on 30-side die. It's useless. But anyway, so you played Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, yeah, I played Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I, I, uh, I first saw some miniatures in a store, and... Bonks, they look cool. I realized it was from a game, and mm -hmm. I was like, I got to get this game, and it was always expensive, so I wanted it. And uh, I think one year for Christmas, I got the board game Dungeon because it was cheaper. Is and, it had anything to do with? TSR? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it's like a, a, it's like a very, it's a board game version of Dungeons and Dragons. Basically, it's you know very limited in scope, and it's kind of cool just to you know even get that. But it was sort of like, yeah, but I want the real thing. So finally, I think for my birthday, or maybe I save up money, I got the. The basic set, and um, 
I think it was for my birthday, and I got, got went to a friend's place to play, and uh, he broke it out, and it was kind of like, I don't understand how you're supposed to play this. <laughs> it was a rule book. I was like, where are the figures? Where, where's the, the game pieces, the board? And So it took me a while to even figure out, I was like, what are we supposed to do? How do we, how do we play this? This is really cool. I love the story, the adventure and all, but... So yeah. finally, you found some people to play with. Yeah, we played uh, played some games, and you know, I know there was one night that you know you play the thing freaking all night or keep going for days, and there was one night I had some of the people I played with regularly. You know, we were playing some module. Now, and first of all, tell me about your character. You got a you got a. Oh, I had several characters. Yeah, depending on which game it was. Okay. Um, so did you have a favorite character that you created? Uh, you know, I had a few. I had a my first fighter character that actually survived. Uh, he was uh, What's his I, name? I think it was Borstave or something dumb like that. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. He's just one kind of these random letters or whatever. <laughs> one of the games we were playing, um, I think it was just me and one other guy, actually. I think it was one of those where just everyone else was non-players or like other people left to so just keep going or whatever. It was a you know, freaking all-night you know game in high school or whatever. And... Uh, Getting kind of punch drunk, you know, because you know, you know, you're just losing sleep. You're going off nothing but sugar and caffeine, and mm-hmm. wanting to kind of continue. And I had this module. It was one of those, and it was always a mistake if you don't read through the module all the way through before playing it. And it was one of those situations where I didn't have time to read all the way through. So, and we got to the point. It was getting near the end, and, uh, and I was trying to figure out like, well, why is it so easy to get at this point straight to the end? And he did, and I was kind of like, I feel like something's missing. And I kind of went back, and I was like, oh. They were supposed to like be rolling for random monsters on the way and stuff. He's like, like oh, I was like, oh, we did screw. Goes, no, he goes, well, he goes, go back and do it. Said, we don't want to start all over again and stuff. He goes, he goes, just give me the toughest monster that you could have had. And I was like, you don't understand. I say it escalates. It's like if you get this one, you get like a bunch of kobolds. Mm-hmm. You get this one, you get like a bugbear. But if you make it all the way, he's the toughest one. I said, you don't want that. You really don't. It's beyond your level. He goes, no. I, he goes, I didn't get to fight any monsters in that last section. I want to be. I want to earn that treasure at the end. Give me the toughest one. I go. You really don't want it. I kept saying, you know. He goes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I was like, fine. It's a silver dragon. And he was. His jaw just dropped. <laughs> he's staring at me. Yeah, because anyone that's in the Dungeons and Dragons knows that you don't fight silver dragons until unless you have a huge group and you have tons of magic items, you're up to like, you know, twelfth level or something. He was like a fifth level character, mm-hmm. and he's just like, it's like you're not even supposed to get that unless you just had really bad luck and beat all these people on the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, sure enough, he he lost that character. <laughs> he got killed. We talked about how most people you play with are just completely obnoxious or whatever. Yeah. Well, we were we were nerds at school. You know, we were at, in in you know small school like White House. We were pretty much outcasts. And I, I had a few small small group that I played Dungeons Dragons with, and um, but there was another younger group younger group than us that was I mean made us look like the popular kids. <laughs> I mean they were like completely socially inept. We were only I think just outcasts at our particular school. You know, I mean if I went to other places, uh, you know, it was. I kind of felt like we were the kids. Like if we, you know, if 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 there was a John Hughes movie made, we would have been the nerds in that movie that actually, you know, turned out to kind of be the wimp. You know? The duckies and the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Gotcha, yeah. They were like real, you know, people that just like have no lives, outcasts that really are never going to make it in the world. I don't know mm-hmm. what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong, but I mean, they were, it was just they were completely socially inept. You yeah. Know? No social skills at all. Smelled bad. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know. That was the smell of, uh, you know, being on a campaign for so long. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not able to bathe. Absolutely I'm, not, yeah. Except in the river, I guess, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one guy, the kind of leader of the group, 
he had uh, he would brag about his Dungeons and Dragons character. I have a 36 level. Well, I forget what kind of combination of things. I have you know had every magic item in the book. It's like he went through the Dungeon Master's Guide and just he, well, his character sheet wrote down every magic item, gave himself you know all his stats were level 25, which is like the highest level for a, a, a god character, mm-hmm. you know, and just crazy stuff like this. And we're like. That's not a legitimate character. You just made that. No, I went through adventures and earned all that. I was like, well, how did you get all that? All those scores? I absorbed the powers of the gods. I defeated Satan and all this stuff. And <laughs> really? Yeah, it's just like ridiculous stuff like this. It's like, there's no, you know, it's just, this is the most ridiculous BS thing. You couldn't have possibly earned that. You aren't that good a player. You didn't have anyone to be a game master. And sure enough, we found out from one of my friends knew his babysitter or met his babysitter and said, oh, yeah, he just sit in the living room and roll dice and play this by himself. So, Wow. So anyway, See, that's why you need a Dungeons & Dragons notary. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, we were just we just wanted to just shut the cat up. You know, mm-hmm. since we knew he was full of crap. Mm-hmm. Somehow, one of my friends talked him into letting me Dungeon Master a game, a fight between him and the, these two guys. Just a battle. Yeah, just a fight. You know, say we open field... Neutral plane, so you can't, you know, get, you know, all that's, that's just, if anyone, hopefully anyone that listens knows what I'm talking about, say a neutral plane, mm-hmm. because uh, otherwise people are going to go, I don't understand, it's Dungeons and Dragons. Right. So we said, oh, fine, he cheated and made a character, we'll cheat and make you a character. And it's like, but, well, let's not completely cheat, I'll let me put you on an adventure, I'll plant the items you need, you mm-hmm. know, you know, we'll take this character and, you know, so... You know, we kind of cheated, but, you know, not completely. But uh, anyway, kind of a character. But we knew what we needed. We formulated a plan together how we were going to defeat this guy and you know, what we needed to do it. We were so freaking powerful, in addition to all these spells or whatever and super magic items, uh, in absorbing the power of Satan. <laughs> he took, This was one of the an extra, you know, in the, in the monster manuals or, or whatever, they have, like, the demons and the devils and whatever. You know, but Satan wasn't one among those. They had... But... One of the Dragon Magazines, well, someone put extra characters in, someone in Dragon Magazine created a character for Satan. Mm-hmm. Under the theme movement, which we never use the movement anyway, I don't, you know, that was a little more complicated than we wanted. But under Satan, they listed whatever desired. It's supposed to be like, in the movement, it's supposed to be, in most characters, it's like, you know, so many inches per round, which I guess right. it's like if you're trying to advance on something, it shows how far mm-hmm. you can get if you're trying to run or advance forward and who's mm-hmm. faster. Well, I don't know, didn't quite understand, but apparently according to the guy who said he defeated and absorbed all of Satan's powers, because he had movement whatever desired, he could always strike first, move faster than anybody, dodge any type of attack in the world. So he's invincible. Yeah, that's what he was basically saying. So whenever anyone tried to roll a thing and say, you know, you know I hit you or do this, he'd just shake his head and go, cross arms, movement, whatever desired. He was like the freaking guy, the comic guy, the Simpsons. So basically saying you can just step out of the way of anything and never get hit. So, so what's the point of playing? It, it was all his, an ego for a guy who had no life. Oh. And unfortunately, I feel bad that we kind of crushed that, but we kind of because he had these little followers who were like, you know, for some reason looked up, kind of looked up this guy. We didn't think that they should. So what we did, I created an adventure for my friend. The idea was what we wanted to do is have him Either travel through time or have a um, an, an item you know that came that was the transport through time to the age of Dungeons and Dragons, medieval ages or whatever. We wanted to get a magnum, you know, a pistol. Seriously, yeah, a magnum forty-five, four, five, forty-five. <laughs> you know, the most powerful pistol you know that yeah. we could find. 
So we want to have that because you know that you know a blast a hole through armor or anything doesn't matter magic or whatever you're uh-huh. you know freaking you know going to have a gaping hole in yeah. it's going to kill you. I don't care what your hit points are if you can't do that. Silver bullet. Yeah, if it's point blank. Well, we didn't have a silver bullet thing. We should have thought of that too. But anyway, we, we, what we did think of is like, okay, he's going to get it, but it, you know, even if you pull any kind of weapon out, you know, he see, you know, he can move past, he can dodge a bullet or whatever. So he has to not even know it's coming. Oh uh, yeah. So we got. So I had him go through adventure to find this pistol, and he had, he had, uh, his character was, he was a combination magic user, fighter or something, so he could have the best of both, and he had an invisibility spell. So he cast an invisibility spell over the pistol. <laughs> and so we had to be on this open field. And I said, okay, you're both here. My friend's character points to the other guy and says, you're dead. And boom, you have a huge gaping hole open in your heart. You're dead. He goes, movement, whatever desire. I said, you can't move. You don't see it coming. He has an invisibility spell over a magnum. He shot you. <laughs> I think he had a, like a silent spell over it, too, or something, too, so he couldn't hear it. So my friend you know, took his, took that character sheet, that fake character sheet, with all you know the list of every item with the magic items, like, was running down the halls of our high school, ripping it to shreds, going, okay, it was like, oh, weird. Man, it was jeepers, creepers, man. It's, it's hardcore. <laughs> Was the guy crying? Or? Yeah, he was pissed off that he wasn't crying, at least not then. But yeah, we we basically just outsmarted him. You know, and we just started again, made him a whole, made him another character. Like they were just said, that's not right. right. You know, just we tore up the sheet so he couldn't do it. But I'm sure he all he had to do was go through the magic, the Dungeon Magic guy, write every magic item down again. I'm sure Gary Gygax is smiling in heaven. <laughs> Thanks to Brian Jackson, a former DJ of 96 WSTO, for sending us that Stevie Shoot a Three-Pointer track. And if you're still in the 80s mood, there's a bunch of these fluorescent decade on a hill episodes. The most recent being in the corner back by the woodpile episode 244, where we talk summer camps, dances, and the Marielle boat lift. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can find this podcast on iTunes, podbean.com, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you would like to send us some love letters, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. We'll see you next week. Whoa. Bye-bye.